Welcome to The Real Photo Show. In today's episode, I visit, that's right, I said visit in person with photographer and educator Stephen Hilger at his studio in Brooklyn. And we talk about his upcoming book, In the Alley, published by Purple Martin Press. Uh, Stephen was a guest on the show all the way back on episode 47 with my friend Kai McBride. So we don't spend a lot of time on his history, but we do talk a lot about the alleyways in Beverly Hills and what they are all about and the creative decisions that went into making this Leporello book. And if you don't know what that is, you will know by the end of the episode. It's actually pretty cool. Um, I have a link in the show notes of where you can pre-order or order the book, depending on when you're listening to this. And Stephen provides some bonus content on our YouTube channel at Real Photo Show. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, where members receive signed copies of each monograph, guest curator notes, special edition prints, and members only pricing to the store, as well as first dibs on exclusive editions. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. Well, hi, Stephen. Hi, Michael. <laughs> so this is, uh, boy, I think it's been probably a good year and a half since I've recorded in person with someone. Uh, the last time I did it, I was uh, during COVID uh, out in a park. I think I did that twice. Well, the park sounds nice, but I'm glad you could you could visit <laughs> me here today in my studio. It's really nice to have you here. Thanks for... Oh, this is, so this is great. And also, I guess this would also count as my first studio visit since COVID, because I don't think I've visited anyone in their home, in their studios. And you've got the book that we're going to talk about all laid out. So it's really nice to get this preview of the book, which isn't out yet. Uh, so let's see, it's In the Alley. Yes. In the Alley, published by Purple Martin Press. And that's coming out when? It's coming out June 6th. Okay. So very soon. So when you're listening to this, uh, it is either out or about to be out. So you were on the show years ago with Kai McBride when Kai and I were uh, co-hosting the show. And I know you talked about working in LA, but I don't think you, I don't remember if you mentioned this work. So first, give us a sort of quick, not reminder, but you know, sort of how you got into photography, just sort of the short version, because people can go back and listen to the other episode. Sure. No, thanks. I, well, I grew up in Los Angeles and I, I came to New York City for college and grad school, but in between I was back in Los Angeles. And I think that's where I really became impassioned with photography and really started to really take it seriously. It became more of a daily practice and Less of, an less of an assignment and more of a calling. And mm -hmm. I think that I was really looking at my world and where I came from. And I think later on, I realized as I spent more time going back and forth between Los Angeles and New York and New Orleans and Los Angeles and New Orleans and New York <laughs> and the places I've lived, is that Los Angeles, even though I don't live there, I spend a lot of time there. It's always calling me to see people and to make the work. And so, yeah, so it's really, you know, after, in, in between school, I think I started to really make pictures just more frequently and just get into projects, even if I didn't realize they were projects at mm -hmm. the time. But I find that I, I have a photographic investigation that usually takes a long time, usually takes a few years. Right. In the Alley, it was actually photographed over the course of one year. 
so it's 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 shorter but it's been it's been a long road because mm-hmm. um, I'm publishing the, the work this this year in 2023 and I actually made the work 20 years ago. Yeah, this is something I, I talk to my students about a lot is what time means in photography and work. It's, you know, the the old argument with painters and photo and photographers was that the painter will spend years making one piece and the photographer hits the button and it's done, right? And mm-hmm. it's not representative of what photography is. You know, photography is a process, a very long process. And it doesn't matter whether a photo was taken in a you know fraction of a second because it's part of something else. It's part of a larger body of work. And there's not just time in, you know, getting to the place and making the photograph, but think even just thinking about where you want to go, where you're going to spend some time what that work is going to look like when it all comes together, assuming you even have an idea when you start, because a lot of times you don't even have an idea when you start. And then what, what, what are you going to do with that work? <laughs> right. Yeah. With, with the pictures in the alley, I made the work in a relatively short amount of time a year, but it was a lot of photography during that year and constantly returning to these spaces, to these back streets behind houses in Beverly Hills, California. Very well-to-do neighborhood where wealth is really put on display in the front mm-hmm. of the homes. And the alleys, of course, are behind the homes. And it was really an investigation as much as I could because I was living in New York at the time. But when I made trips back home to Los Angeles, I would you know, really put in the time and kind of mining those alleys, looking looking at them very closely, trying to understand them. And you mentioned our talk before, a few years ago with Kai McBride, which I remember really well. It was a lot of fun. I was also really <laughs> hungry. I was, I was waiting to go get um, I think we talked about pizza. food quite a bit. <laughs> I was waiting to get pizza, um, which I think never happened. So maybe we can... We can we can do Take better care of that this today. time, um, and we'll talk about that later. But you know, at the time, I think we were talking about some other projects. But in the alley, wasn't really on my mind. I had put it away for a little while. So I think your your suggestion of the importance of of time in our work as photographers is true. And also, I think that's the the archive itself and kind of returning to the archive, you know, having this Mm -hmm. body of work that has been made to a certain extent, but not necessarily realized. And a few years ago, it started to really pinch me a little bit that this work hadn't been finished. And it was related to the fact that I was going back home to Los Angeles to see my parents um, much more often as they grow older and there's more of a need to be there and spend time with them. And I think that's something that, you know, runs through my work a lot is that it's a lot about how things change, things change over time and um, really wanting to chase after those, those visible changes. But the funny thing is that with the alley, I've realized that there's a, a different um, sense of time and James Welling, who shares an interview with me in the in the book, noted that there's a timelessness in the alleys where modifications and changes aren't really being made because the changes are happening in the front of the streets mm-hmm. and all the care and attention is is put in the front. And yeah. so there is this kind of quality 
where things haven't changed. And when I came back to the alley and thought about a book, I decided not to go back and make new pictures because I really wanted to keep the, the um, I don't know, what's the word? The, integrity? The, yeah, the integrity and the kind of clarity of that mm-hmm. time. Yeah, well, so with photography and this kind of photography, it's so connected to what a place looked like at that moment in time, right? Mm-hmm. And then... I as well am going back through my archive. <laughs> and mm-hmm. what you realize is the world has changed and you have changed. So right. the picture looks the same, but now how in the context of how we see it, read it, think about it, interpret it, that changes and it changes over time. Our appreciation of it changes over time. What's interesting about what you just said is how the alleys change much more slowly. Right. And so there's a connection there, even when you go back and visit, that's similar. But then as... Welling and you put it in that conversation that's in the book, the front becomes this kind of facade. The front becomes mm-hmm. this very malleable facade that reflects current times because people can change the front of their homes to reflect modern changes, right? right. Styles, trends, or trying to make it look more historic, right? Mm-hmm. Accurately historic, whatever right. they're doing, right? But that also leads to sort of the bigger topic in this book is the front and the back, right. is who enters the front, who enters the back. There's a a real social and class issue that runs through this book as well, that because you you did pick Beverly Hills, you're picking a place that has a real contrast from the front to the back, right? Right. I mean, Beverly Hills really does like to show its wealth. That's important part of its identity. And I think that people globally recognize Beverly Hills as a, as a symbol of that wealth. It's a Hollywood symbol. <laughs> yeah, no, it really, <laughs> right. it really is. And, but I think that, you know, there's another side of the story is what's the, what's the structure of support to sort of maintain the appearance of the front? Well, you, you rely on the, on the service, on the service workers and the architecture of service that's in the back of these homes and it's very planned and it's very intentional, but you don't really see it. It's, it's hidden and it's hard to approach. I mean, the alleys are public spaces, but they don't feel public. They become very private. They're almost guarded. They're overgrown, they're hidden and out of sight. So I wanted to take a a look at them and really, really show them and think about them and through the photography, really try to understand, you know, more about what they are. And, and also that something I've been interested in my work for a long time and that I come back to a lot is where private space and public space kind of butt heads with each other and how sometimes it becomes less clear over time, you know, whether it's a public or private space and how these spaces were, you know, they are public spaces, but they've been co-opted by the, by the residents, by the neighborhood as private spaces. Right. And where to a certain extent, I don't think people feel very welcome. And, you know, as a photographer walking through, you can imagine there's a lot of questions and a lot of challenges to, mm-hmm. you know, why are you there in this space? Yeah. You know, what are you doing here? Yeah, because it would now be unusual for someone to just be strolling through looking, right? right. And there'd be great suspicion about right. that person. And why are you looking at the back and not right. at the beautiful front? Yes. That looking, I've spent looking at our business. so much time 
um, beautifying. Well, the alley itself in, I'd say, uh, American urban history, it might mm. have been a product of the idea of maybe some affluent neighborhoods, affluent neighborhoods, mm -hmm. where you wanted your garbage picked up in the back. You wanted all the sort of dirty business to be right. in the back of the building. But in, I would say, probably most neighborhoods that still have these old alleyways, there are no longer mostly affluent neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. But this one is. Like this one, you know, in particular, sort of held on to that historically. But on at, at the same time, it also provides this contrast of people who own the homes and then all the service that happens either within the homes or even provided by the, the city itself, right? Mm -hmm. In the alleyways. The service workers who just drive through are using the alleyways as well. I think the thing that probably happens most, and it's alluded to in the photographs, is that it's where the trash is taken, as you said. Yeah. And there's these, if you look at the photographs, it's just sort of oversized trash cans that are larger than a... <laughs> They human are. being. They're the big municipal trash cans that are and provided. It right. almost seems like a cartoon of, you know, how how large scale they are. And it's a little comical in, right. in a way. Well, let's talk more yeah. about the actual photos themselves. Sure. Because now that I've been able to see them side by side, which is how you're going to see them in the book, which is, uh, mm -hmm. it's called a leporello. Yes. It's, right? it's an accordion style fold out exactly. of the book. The the thing I noticed about the photos and the book is they work very much similarly in the way the photos come in and out as you see them side by side, the angles of the photos. So you're not, right. these aren't straight on photos of the backs of homes. I believe as, as far as I can tell, they, they almost all include part of the alleyway itself. So there are two perspectives in some ways. There's the perspective of the, the, the back wall or the back of the home mm -hmm. or the, the backyard, so to speak, and the alleyway leading you away. And so that you feel like you are traveling as you're walking yeah, along these photos. That's right. And, and they're definitely about walking through. And I mean, I should pause for a second and just say that, you know, thinking again about Los Angeles, the car is mm -hmm. so present and ubiquitous and it's such a big part of my memory and how I would see LA and how I know LA you know being in the back of a station wagon on the way to school and carpool and looking at the city go by but this work it's really about walking and slowing down a lot of times when I'm driving around the city and I stop and I get out of the car that's when I really see things and it's really important to be at the ground level and walking. And I think that the pictures, this is another thing that Jim and I spoke about in our conversation here was that I'm just, I'm constantly moving mm -hmm. and I'm really not taking a long time to make the pictures. And the book has 22 pictures from, you know, thousands that were, were made and, you know, called down, but I'm constantly sort of, they're directional. I'm constantly moving in a certain direction. And a lot of times I'm really focusing on the facade, you know, which is oftentimes, you know, cinder block fences, chain link fences, wood fences, really fortifications, you know, to keep you out of the backyard, to keep you from looking into the backyard and to really protect the wealth and the status and the privilege of the, of the home. And so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly moving and the pictures are made with a one by three 
format yeah, cameras. I was just so going to say, I forgot to mention panoramic, these are panoramics. Yeah, so, right. so they lend themselves they're panoramic, they're to long, the travel. Right. And they're really, you know, they're very horizontal, which I think makes sense for Los Angeles. It's such a horizontal city. It's not a vertical mm-hmm. city like other cities. And it also, the horizontality makes me think of the movies, which is such a big part of Los Angeles and having that, you know, long kind of cinemascope-esque. Right. The 70 millimeter film. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And the Leporello um, came about actually as a suggestion by Peter K. Office, who is publishing the work. And, um, you know, I was, I was putting this book together and this was actually before his involvement officially, I should Mm. say, as as the publisher of this book through his imprint, Purple Martin Press, we were in my studio and I was talking about, you know, making this into a book and thinking about some of the challenges of dealing with this really long picture. And he actually very quickly sort of grabbed a piece of paper and started folding it up Mm. and sketching on it. And he said, have you ever thought of a Leporello? And I thought, wow, this is this is really perfect because I'm not going to lose the picture in the gutter. And oh, I'm yeah. really going to be able to actually enhance the length. Mm-hmm. And the book, which contains 22 pictures, is designed to page through. You can page through the book, but you can also open it up and extend it. It extends to, I can't remember right now, but something like 40 feet. Wow. So... The idea is hopefully that we'll be able to find some situations where we can exhibit Actually, and display right, right. the work as an object mm-hmm. and give the viewer, the audience, the reader, the gallery goer an opportunity to actually inhabit the work by kind of walking alongside the work. The beauty of that is that it can also feel like you're looking at prints right? Mm -hmm. Almost like handling prints in a way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, actually very pleasantly the, um, the book, when you, when you fold it out and you extend, you know, when you're just looking at one picture, it extends out, it's actually larger than the, than my work print size for (laughs) the, for the print. So it's really nice. And I'm I'm happy with bookshelf. So yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm really happy with how the book came out. It was printed at Studley Press just a few weeks ago, and they were really great to work with. And I had the pleasure of being there with um, with Peter on press and learned a lot about that process. And um, you know, just trying to trying to make it work and you know have the have the pictures. You know, they have uh, very specific color, and a lot of times mm-hmm. I was really challenging the the materials by pointing the camera into the sun and getting right. a lot of sun flare. And so you mentioned that can the, be really tricky to reproduce, yeah. but I'm really happy with how it's turning out. You mentioned the sort of just acceptance of and, and actually desire for flare and things being not so perfect as a, a reference to the idea mm-hmm. that, yeah, you're not just walking through, you're also photographing. And this is a, a photographic practice, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a lot about experiencing the alley that when I'm there with the camera, I'm really trying to record not just what things look like, but what it feels like mm-hmm. to be there. And photography is limited in its ability to 
perceive the world, but yes. <laughs> I think that, you know, we can push on it a little bit and it can really remind us of, you know, sort of quality of light and, you know, there's a clarity in some of the pictures in bright sunlight where you can really see the details mm -hmm. of, let's say, a kind of doubled garage with a service entrance in the middle and sort of a pale white glowing, but really crisp, you know, garage doors. But then oftentimes things are a little bit more obscured by the light, a little bit maybe overtaken. And I was really just trying to saturate my experience. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like a little bit of a silly idea, but I had a real tendency to kind of overexpose because it was almost like pushing down harder on the, on the pedal in the car <laughs> and really let that light in, really kind of soak it in and then kind of deal with it. And I found that, you know, through that overexposing of the negative, you know, it really, and looking at the sun, it really brought that flare in. Mm -hmm. And then you really had to kind of deal with that. And that became a kind of a signature of, of the work. And yeah, it has that shape in the flare oftentimes of the, of the, the iris. aperture <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, diaphragm of the, of the camera. So yeah, I think that it really, the materiality of the picture as a photograph is there, you know, the imprint of the, of the camera is there maybe mm -hmm. um, more so than if that flare wasn't there. Yeah. Well, Matthew Spector speaks a lot mm -hmm. about what we've also just spoken about mm -hmm. in his essay for the book. He also mentions that um, something to the effect of, uh, I suspect uh, Stephen isn't striving for reconciliation, but rather uh, clarity, accuracy, ambiguity, and complexity. And, <laughs> and that is the difference between a kind of activist documentary right. project and what we tend to do, which is sort mm -hmm. of just show things, reveal things, put things out for questions, put things out for ideas, and, and not forget that we're still photographers trying to make images that are seductive in some ways, right? Right. And, and I think open-ended to a certain extent. I mean, I think that the pictures are ultra-subjective, um, mm -hmm. my point of view, my experience. And I think that also that, that flair, I always felt that it, it signals that. Yeah, I don't have any, I, I, I don't wish for the work to be didactic. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. pointing to the back of these, um, these houses and finding them to be sort of interesting and important and problematic, but they're there and we should look at them. And I think that we should look at other situations. Like for me, I'm really interested in cities and how the architecture of cities, and I would include the sort of alleys and the gates and fences that line and the back of the houses as architecture, maybe with a lowercase a, <laughs> and um, looking at different, you know, how how we live and how we, um, what what we build around us and how it kind of controls our, our social movements. But I'm not necessarily making work that is designed to, you know, kind of instill change in the sort of traditional 20th century documentary mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, it's more about the way we look at things and the way we understand things and, you know, kind of keeping that dialogue open. Well, 
when you start talking about uh, mobility and the way we behave and act through space, you're talking my language. We're talking about <laughs> thresholds and <Right. laughs> the effect and alleyways are, mm-hmm. are real in between places. They, they definitely are. I mean, they, one of the things, and you mentioned Matthew Spector, who wrote, I think, a really wonderful essay in the book. And I was really happy to get Matthew involved in this in this project. It was um, actually the writer, Jonathan Latham, who suggested that I talk to Matthew. And I read Matthew's most recent book, Always Crashing in the Same Car, which is just a a really inventive and um, beautiful portrait of Los Angeles as a place and tied to Matthew's own life. So it's a memoir and it's uh, also, you know, kind of a cultural history through all of the books and movies that, and you know, actors and writers that Matthew's been obsessed with. And I thought, well, you know, this is this really is perfect because I'm really interested in LA, you know, the place mm-hmm. and this particular slice of it in the alleys of Beverly Hills, and kind of looking at that. But what does it mean in the larger sense? And I thought. You know, let's invite Matthew to come in and, and take a look at that. And I think he he did a great job. I mean, I knew he would, but I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy with how he, you know, made some connections to some of the films right. that have been made in alleys and, um, you know. But just, just, yeah. He mentions Paul Mazursky's Down and Out in yeah. Beverly Hills. And I know that one, of course. Loris Kasdan's Grand Canyon, which right. I'm, I'm less familiar with, right. but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that for me, Down and Out in Beverly Hills is is really, mm-hmm. really important. I had seen the movie. The movie came out in the 80s. I oh, was a yeah. kid. <laughs> it was a riot. You know, mm-hmm. Bette Midler, Richard Dreyfuss, Nick Nolte. You know, it's about a uh, unhoused person played by Nick Nolte who finds his way through the alley of Beverly Hills into the backyard of this, you know, rich family that right. Bette Midler and Richard Dreyfus, you know, play the, the husband and wife. And they, I think their name is the Whitemans. And he tries to kill himself by jumping in their pool. They save him and then he goes to live with them. So it's really you know, this kind of comedy about how, you know, what happens when these different worlds meet but the sort of movie is is bracketed by in the in the front and the back by scenes in the alley right and there's this really beautiful end credit sequence which is just the character jerry baskin played by nick nolte just walking down the alley and um it's it's a really fun movie but and it is a comedy. Serious undertones. And, but it right. does have serious yeah. undertones. And the alley does play a really big part in you mm-hmm. know, framing the wealth and becoming the sort of margin or the, the kind of border into the neighborhood. And the Jerry Baskin character, who, you know, is an is a unhoused person, he uses the alley to sort of enter into this more affluent world and mm-hmm. then... At the end of the movie, he sort of tries to get out and he goes through the back. So I was always, you know, aware of that film and found a lot of inspiration in the photography, the cinematography in the alley. Mm-hmm. And I think Paul Mazursky is one of the, you know, great, maybe a little bit underrated, but one of the great hmm. American directors. And I should also say that the movie was a remake 
of a Jean Renoir movie from the 30s called Badu Saved from Drowning. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is set in Paris where, you know, the tramp character tries to do himself in by jumping into the Seine. And he's he's saved by a bourgeois (laughs) family. And, you know, I think it's it's also kind of a comedic criticism of class and there is that tip in my work you know Mm -hmm. there is that kind of look at it i think just by kind of looking at it it's not trying to glorify it it's sort of looking at it and saying you know this is what's here and we need to sort of yeah well be aware of it specter also mentions that these are not places that wouldn't ordinarily be included in maps and tours or anything like that and yeah you provide a little bit of a map uh right in the book as Um, well that that's the thing that he talks about the thomas guide Mm-hmm. which is yes. years ago before we were using our phones to mm-hmm. navigate in LA, instead of having a folded map, you would have a whole spiral bound booklet <laughs> called the Thomas guy. And that was all kind of gridded out. And you would look up in the, in the back of the book, you know, the street you were going to, and you would turn to page 472 and then you would chart your, your route there. And I was really interested in the, in the pages of Beverly Hills and, you know, I was like looking for maps, you know, I'm interested in that printed matter, you know, that, that map and its function, but I, um, I couldn't find any, Hmm. any maps of alleys and the alleys in Beverly Hills are just not on the maps, not on the road map. So I thought that's, that's funny because it is a street. It is a public street. It's It's not a private street. So, um, I did some digging around and I I found my way to the Los Angeles Public Library and they have a really wonderful maps section way down deep in the belly <laughs> of the library in downtown LA. And actually the only the only map I could could find was uh insurance maps oh. from the 1930s. Mm. Um these giant volumes that were hand painted and they're really interesting because I think when changes happened in the neighborhood to houses, they would just kind of, you know, draw over it. Paint or over, draw over. Paint <laughs> over it. And, you know, there it was in the, in the, in the more kind of private map mm-hmm. rather than a public map, um, which sort of, you know, indicates a lot to us, like the sort of value of this place as the real estate, that being the kind of important thing as far as, you know, the way that uh, the system sees mm-hmm. it. So yeah, so you find this map uh, in the basement of the uh, LA Public Library, and then um, how is that translated to the book? It's there's like a, a kind of a hint of it on the cover, and then there's included in the. Oh, I don't know if we mentioned this. The the text, the the, the uh, essay from uh, Matthew Spector, and the conversation with James Welling. Those are that's included in the book as a sort of separate entity, as a separate piece that's going to be tucked in. But but then in there is a version of the map. Right, right. right. So the map, the map, this particular insurance map um, is used on the cover of the book and also on the cover of the booklet that contains the essays, which is in a pocket in the front of the Mm -hmm. bound Leporello. And I, I want to give a shout out to Julie Fry, who designed the book and did a really great job taking photograph I made in the basement of the library, (laughs) literally standing on top of a of a chair um, <laughs> in order to, to get an aerial view of this map. And she kind of reduced it down, made mm-hmm. it more graphic and kind of inversed the, the colors to make it uh, white on yellow instead of yellow on white. I see. And, okay. And then it, yeah, it suggests through 
its image, you know, this really narrow space in, mm-hmm. in the back of the houses, in between the houses, and kind of functions the same way, you know, in a similar way to the the photos where it shows you something that you usually don't see. Right. So that has almost like a, a, a blueprint quality. That, yeah. But it's in yellow. It does. Right. So you have this really fascinating conversation with James Welling, where I think a lot of what you've, you've said in the show is part of the mm-hmm. conversation as well. What was your connection to Mr. Welling? Yeah, well, I've long admired his work. Mm-hmm. He lives in New York now. I mean, I think originally grew up in Connecticut, but for a long time, he was a professor at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And I was I was aware of his work and aware of his work, you know, through seeing it at galleries and Probably the first time I saw the work, though, was actually in October magazine, and there was a portfolio of early photographs of Los Angeles. And Jim has such a um, constantly moving style. He has all sorts of different ways of looking at and use, utilizing photography. Mm-hmm. And and I love a lot of his projects, but I have a real affinity for a lot of the early pictures he took in Los Angeles that are just so direct and so de- descriptive of architectural spaces and both the front and back of places in LA, like apartment buildings and alleys. Yeah, I, I looked so, at his work in preparation mm-hmm. for the show and, and I could see how you would connect right, with his work. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, you know, knew of Jim and had had met him through the years here and there, and I just got in touch with him and asked if he'd be interested in doing something and he accepted. So I was mm-hmm. delighted. Yeah. What's what's really great about this book is is the experience of it. I mean, physically, right? There's mm-hmm. there's the leporello and you can stretch that out uh very far. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> there's the insert. Might be thirty seven feet. <laughs> Hope I get that We're right. We're gonna measure it when it okay. finally comes yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the insert, you know, it's something you can actually hold. You can actually have the text in front of you with the the images laid out. It's right, such right. a great experience. And of course, this this bright cover, uh, you know, all of it is kudos to everyone involved. Because, oh, uh, you know, Peter and Matthew and James and you. And I mean, uh, yeah, it's, and, Julie, and you mentioned. Yes, and, I'm and, sorry. Yes. And many. And, you know, the um, as I was coming up with this book and working with people, a lot of people asked, you know, kind of what about the back? Like, would you like to have, where are you going to have a text? Where are you going to put the text? Is it going to be on the back? And I thought, you know, no, absolutely not. I mean, the front is the back, you know, the front (laughs) of the, uh, uh, the front page of the sheets, you know, we're looking at the back of the houses in Beverly Mm -hmm. Hills. So I really didn't want to have anything on the back and I didn't want to have a text in the beginning or the end because I wanted that ability to just have purely a photographic experience as the leporello was yeah. extended so we decided to include the texts in in the booklet and right. um you know have have it, it makes so much sense yeah. for this project because it is about highlighting this place that's unseen yeah right yeah right. i think the yeah. dog's trying to get so out. yes for those uh, at this point in the show let me mention <laughs> you've probably heard some jingling some footsteps some scratching some slight little yelps penny the beautiful beautiful brown lab yeah well she's a, mix. she's a mix um, she's a mix chocolate lab mix she's a mix she's um <laughs> has we, been wandering we, we have the the dna <laughs> to prove that she's 50 percent Labrador, mm-hmm. uh, a quarter American Staffordshire, otherwise known as Pitbull. So that's what we have too. Uh, okay. We have, I think, probably a seventy-five percent Staffordshire. Beautiful yes. dogs, oh. and so and very friendly. 
Yeah, so friendly. really, and Loving so dogs. playful. Yes. They get yes. a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Eight and a half percent German Shepherd. Oh, <laughs> and I hope I'm adding this all up correctly. But the rest, dog, right, is what the what the statement yes, says. Well, but, but she's a Pen- good one. Penny's been providing a little bit of background noise. Yeah, beautiful. Well, we can always edit dog. that out. Oh no, it, I don't know if she got. Let's out. leave Penny in. Okay. We're leaving Penny in. Um, so now, there's some dogs in the book. That's right. I exactly. mean, you know, yes. I think that um, there's a couple of dogs that are, you can't hear it, but they're barking very loudly. They look like they're barking. So, <laughs> I mean, this is, I think this is one thing that um, that Matthew mentions in the book that um, he's imagining, you know, the sounds you hear mm-hmm. in, the, in the alley. There's a picture of a tennis court. Absolutely. And he, yep. he says something about the swoosh or the crack of the ball and... Um, you well, know, that, there's that sense of voyeurism that you're kind of looking at the back, getting little glimpses through an open garage door, an open gate, and, you know, also kind of hearing the activity that's happening on the other side. Yeah. Well, it's part of that idea of having that light directly in your eyes, the harshness mm-hmm. of the light, the the angles of view where it keeps leading you, leading you, leading you, right? It is. It's, right. it's, it's that experience, that that. Going all the way back to equivalence. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> but so now the the book published date we mentioned. Uh, yeah, it's any coming out June sixth. Events, signings. Well, um, a, a, a signing and a and a talk. So oh, great. We're just trying to figure out the details on that. Plan to do something in New York in the fall, and then also in Los Angeles in the fall. Awesome. So. We'll keep well, you posted. Hope to see you there. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. Well, if I can make it out to LA, I'd love that too. <laughs> well, okay, thank great. you, Stephen. This thank, has been fantastic. Thank you, Michael. It's always great to talk to you and great to see you. Yeah. Even better to see you. Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, yep. I'll uh, link to where you can buy the book. And uh, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for having me, Michael. Real Photo Show is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton, and the music is by Matteo Chauvin Dalton. Be sure to check out our bonus content on YouTube at Real Photo Show. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast players. And if you feel so inclined, please rate the show with many, many stars.